0: I guess this has been a long time coming. Mm -hmm. If you don't know who I am by my voice, I'm Anna and I'm a PGY3 psychiatry resident. And I'm Allie and I am a uh, graduated
1: uh, stroke, well I'm a fellow, Um, I graduated um, neurology residency so I'm in training still.
0: So, I guess this started because for a long time, people had sort of been telling me I should do a podcast. And I was like, yeah, I have a lot of things I'd like to talk about. But I didn't really want to do it on my own. And certain people approached me about doing a podcast. And I was like, But (laughs) one time, you slid into my DMs. And you were like, we should do a podcast. And I was like, you know what? We should. It would be dope.
1: Yeah, I think um, we had been kind of talking back and forth about some you know one one thing or another and i think you know the the chemistry was there and you know we have very similar um kind of outlooks on a lot of things and um i like to talk so that's why I think everybody should just listen to my voice, so.
0: (laughs) I think we both have that, uh, you know, the little touch of narcissism that's perfect for having a podcast. Um, So I think part of it, too, was it was the idea that having both a psychiatric perspective and a neurological perspective could be really interesting. Not that we're limiting ourselves to these things, but I don't really know of, like, a psychiatrist out there doing a podcast or even a neurologist. I know of a couple, but they're very
1: academic and research heavy. Um, But I think I I like to think of the type of podcast I like to listen to. And um, I would love to hear um, kind of somebody addressing the marriage of neurology and psychiatry and how a lot of things are a lot of diseases and disorders and things we think of as purely neuro and purely psych are kind of, you know, heading towards kind of this singular, um, you know, physiology.
0: Yeah. And I think, too, there's a lot of, like, I mean, even though we're both physicians, I don't like, like, listening to super academic stuff. I like hearing stories and, you know, interesting things and sort of, like, stuff that's going to make me better but isn't necessarily something I could just, like, read in a book.
1: Yeah. I think after, you know— 12, 14 hours of just, you know, science and medicine and, and decision-making, I think it's nice to have something light to listen to that still keeps you thinking a little bit, that you don't have to, you know, be, you know, constantly memorizing or thinking and rewinding and going back. I think, you know, it's a nice balance between entertainment
0: and, um, and information. Yes. So that's what this will be. And I think a lot of medical people right off the bat are going to get where our name is from or like what it's referencing but for the people out there who are potentially not doctors nurses or someone with a lot of medical experience um so I did not come up with the name Thank You For This Consult we actually were thinking for a long time of what would be the right name for this podcast and actually my best friend Alyssa came up with the name Thank You For This Consult and essentially, it's referencing when residents get consults at the end of their note, they will often write things like, thank you for this interesting consult. And it's pretty passive aggressive. We're not thanking anyone for the consult, except for in this podcast.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it, it definitely it's definitely the perfect title. So, you know, props, props to Alyssa. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I think we should even take a step even further back and kind of mention what a consult is. Um, Basically, it is when one specialty in medicine um, asks a question um, or another specialty to evaluate a certain problem. I'll give an example. Um, As a neurologist, there's a lot of times when we will consult cardiology to comment on, you know, whether or not you know whether or not we think this person is having a heart attack so um, it's kind of asking for help from some for something that you you know you don't know too much about
0: yeah and psychiatrists aren't allowed to manage anything on their own so we even have to consult medicine for diabetes so yeah and that's after four years of med school yes it's actually pretty frustrating but it is what it is So another thing we need to tell everyone is how we know each other. And I'm not going to get into the story. I'll let Allie do that. But we went to the same medical school. And Allie was two years ahead of me. I was.
1: And I I would like everybody to take a moment and picture medical school like high school. (laughs) Maybe even Greece if you want. Pick your favorite high school. High school musical might be good. Um, Really, you know. Suspend reality for for just a second here, um, and believe it or not, medical students, um, you know, are are humans and they're young adults. And uh, we actually met at a party. Believe it or not, um, I kind of had my clique of, of friends, and I guess they would have been like the upperclassmen mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> for you.
1: So we were having a party, you know. On we only party after exams, and yep. unfortunately that might be on a weekday so this was probably a Tuesday for all I know um and we were playing each other in beer pong and I think you were the only person there that wasn't in our class um but you were killing it you know all the guys were loving you (laughs) so um you know so I just you know I, I gravitate towards people like that when I'm when I'm at a party and um you know, we I think we hit it off, yeah. and um, we even put each other in our phones. We're like, let's get each other's numbers, and <laughs> we um, we instead of putting like our names, <laughs> you put Hot Alley, and I put Hot Anna, and that's how we you know we would base our our friendship. <laughs> yes,
0: and I did think you were really hot, and still do. <laughs> by the way. But yeah, I was definitely very cool because, you know, I was getting invited to all of those parties of the Class. But really I just went to them because I had a crush on someone in your class. Which I won't say who. <laughs> they might listen to this podcast oh, sure. and I don't want to destroy their current relationship.
1: Um Yeah, no, it 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 that's how, how I I remember it. And um I really do have a very vivid memory of that. But um
0: I think, how do you, like, what
1: do you remember? It's
0: interesting because I don't actually remember that night, but I remember a different time when we were at a bar in Philly, and I just remember, like, feeling like I could trust you, and I told you something incredibly personal, which I have no idea if you remember this at all, it might come up later, Um, not in this episode, okay, but I, like, told you something incredibly personal about why, and it had to do with, like... Um, like one of like you have surface level reasons why you're attracted to the field you're going into, but it was a much deeper reason that I was drawn to psychiatry. And I think because I think we were like sort of like, you know, talking about like why you want to go into the specialty you want to go into. And And that's when the podcast was born. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that moment. But it's like those connections that you remember. And then you're like this person, they understand something. They see something the same way I do. Yeah. There, and I, I'll say
1: that that's important because there's a lot of disenchantment that happens in, in medical school and especially residency where you kind of forget why you went into what you went into and yeah. to, to revisit, you know, that moment when you decided I love neurology, I love psychiatry. Yeah. Um, you can't lose sight of that. And sometimes, you know, for better, for worse, sometimes you kind of Remember that passion and remember mm-hmm. it and um, ask people about it. And, and I think that that's, that's what keeps us going. So, yeah, that was an important moment, and those conversations are, are still,
0: you know, very good to have. So, one thing I don't know about you is when you went to medical school, did you know you wanted to become a neurologist? No. Um,
1: I, from probably the time I was five years old, I wanted to be an OB guy. And who? What five-year-old knows that? That <laughs> I, I was a weirdo. Um, but um, I, I think it was probably the second year of medicine. And for those of you who aren't familiar, that's when you kind of learn the the books and the academics of, of each specialty. I just fell in love with the neuro exam and and how you know people can just not be able to talk and and why and and what does that look like and. Um, it was neuro after I did not know I was kind of a 180. I was thinking a surgical specialty, yeah. you know, delivering babies. Um, so, you know, it's and I think we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But how, you know, you if you're interested, go into it and see where it takes you and have an open mind. Yeah. You never know.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah well, so right back at you. What about you? No, I did not know. Yeah. Um, I guess I can talk a little bit about what led me to go to medicine to begin with, and then later we can get into why I decided psychiatry. And then you can also tell me (laughs) how you decided to go on this path to begin with. Um, So for me, I grew up exposed to medicine. My dad is a pediatrician. um, So when I was a little kid, I would look through like his medical textbooks of like weird dermatological things on like naked children with their eyes blacked out. And I thought it was super fucking cool. Um, and, but I didn't, I didn't want to be a doctor. Uh, I didn't like, I was like against the idea of doing something that your parent does. So mm. I was very resistant to that. Um, but I remember when I was a kid, you know, when you're, when you do grow up with a parent that's a physician, they seem to know everything and you can't help but have some respect for that. Although it sometimes it was annoying because like I wanted to be dramatic about various injuries, and you're just like, you're fine. Yeah, they're like, uh, I just saw a kid with his arm hanging on by
1: one nerve. I, I think that you're stubbed toe. You're gonna yeah. live through it. Yeah. No, I
0: get that. Yeah. They'll just do your sutures at home. Like you're you're fine. You're cool. Nothing's wrong with you. So in, I was not like when I was in, well, I was homeschooled, which is a whole other story, until I was in eighth grade, and then I went to Christian school, and I wasn't, you know, I didn't even know if I wanted to go to college or any of that. It just seemed sort of like, ugh, to me. But when I was a junior in high school, I took an anatomy and physiology course, and I had a really great teacher. Um, but it was the first time I really liked something, and I was really naturally good at it, uh, and like got like an A without trying, which... You know, high school involves a lot of homework, Mm -hmm. so you usually can't get an A without putting in a a little bit of effort. So when I got to college, I knew that I wanted to do something with science, but I didn't think of myself as like a smart person, and that's a whole other issue, (laughs) like years of terrible self-esteem and whatever. So I was like, well, I don't think I'm like cut out for medical school or anything, but, uh, you know, I'd still like to help people, and I still like science. Um, and so I was like, maybe I'll major in nursing. But I knew that even nursing was hard, and I was afraid that would be too hard for me. Um, so I actually started out as, as a nursing major in college. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. yes. I was a nursing major for my first semester. And actually, not many people know this. Um, but what happened was I took bio 101 and i like loved it i had the greatest professor on the planet and i really liked it and college was a whole adjustment because i had to learn how to study for the first time in my life but i ended up like getting an a in the course and it sort of was upsetting to me that like nurses didn't go on to bio 102 um so Mm. i started having like a little bit of a crisis about that and then i emailed that teacher that was my anatomy and physiology teacher from high school and I told her I was a nursing major and she was like well that doesn't really seem like you like I either saw you going into research or I saw you becoming a physician I don't think you'd be happy with nursing but either way I was like well I can't be that person that just like doesn't know I want to know more and of course there were some things that weren't the nicest that impacted my choice but they did impact my choice and I decided Mm -hmm. to change to a bio major at that point with the goal of going to medical school but I also knew medical school was really tough to get into so it wasn't like a ever like a 100% thing for me. Yeah it's
1: so cutthroat I mean it every exam and every lecture you think this is the most important thing um, and and nobody's your friend, and people have answers to that test. Like pre med in college is no joke, and, and props to anyone going going through that right now. Um, you know, it, it it does end at some point. People become your colleagues rather than your your nemesis. So um, that must have been interesting, kind of switching from one group of you know majors to one that's com- so competitive.
0: Yeah, and the thing is, like I <laughs> there's not. So there are so many people who are really not cut out to be pre-med, and they would definitely not have even made it through nursing school. So pre-meds aren't by any means any better than anyone else. It's just like a thing you declare, and it doesn't mean anything at all. And the statistics is that out of um, every 12 people that say they will want to become a physician – one will. And that's people that are openly declaring that that's their path. One will make it. So, yeah. How did you initially <laughs> get on the path to pre-med? So, I, my story I, it's so I it sounds so
1: terrible in in a way. I, my parents, so I come from um, my father was an administrator and, uh, my mother, uh, was, and still is, um, the best, uh, MMO technician that ever was. And so when we would come home for dinner, all we would talk about was medicine and, uh, how hospitals work. And if this is, you know, the right thing to do and, and politics and, you know, not really medicine, but more the administrative stuff. But, um, it, my, what, would my parents would do was they both worked so my mom would watch us me and my little sister during the day and then she at the beginning of her shift I guess it must have been the three to eleven she would drive us to the hospital and my dad would be finishing his shift and they'd hand us off and he would drive us home feed us dinner um so every day of my life uh, when I was very young would entail walking into a hospital, walking through the units, you know, and um, I, I, I thought it was very fascinating. Now, when I was the patient, I had to get shots. Forget about it. I mean, it was it was over. I was a terrible patient, but um, I was exposed to it at a very young age, and my parents would make jokes like they would give, me, you know, we'd be playing doctor, and they'd be like, "Oh, you're going to be a doctor when you grow," like you know, yeah. and I was like, "Oh, I, I guess I am." Mm-hmm. And I really never entertained anything else course, until pre-med when, you know, you're told you'll never make it yeah. and you should, you know, consider something else. So I did and it was research. And what's, you know, I got my master's degree thinking, OK, that'll be a backup. I could always do mm-hmm. research. And on the day I got into med school, and this just goes to show where my passion truly lied. I, um, you know, I got the call. I called my parents. I kind of merged the two calls together. I was like, guys, I got in. Um, and I, I just left. What I was doing at the lab bench—I was working as a researcher. Yeah. I just walked yeah. out, and my boss called me, and he's like, "You can't just leave, you know the yeah. the the, um, the experiment." Like I just—I was—that's all I could see. Like I was tunnel vision. I was like, "I got in med school. I don't need anything else." Um, so, you know, it it was it was hard, and, and there were so many setbacks, uh, and they 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 did not stop. Um, actually, even when I was in medical school and yeah. looking, and we'll talk about that later. Yeah. But it's, I mean, you know, I think that things like that kind of give you a a different perspective, and you're a little bit more um, appreciative of having mm-hmm. a job when you you've had to really work for it. And yeah, yeah, you know.
0: for sure. Um, so when I started on my pre med path, you know, it's a it's a little bit of a different mindset when you're. You're in school and you're just gonna complete your major and then you're gonna have a job, which was the route if I had continued on with nursing. Like all you have to do is really, you know, and it's it's still difficult, but there as long as you pass, yeah, you'll be okay at the end and you'll have a job and you'll be good. Um, so when I changed my mind and when the bio pre med route. You know, I started looking into the requirements for medical school and learned about this great thing called the MCAT. started probably having nightmares about that pretty early in college, and it was terrible, and it's a, like, vague, vague memory at this point, but that was probably the hardest part of pre-med, and that's where the most people drop off. Like, I had a lot of friends who were pre-med and they just couldn't do good enough on the MCAT to even think of applying to medical school and it also like and that's another thing about college too like I actually lost a lot of friends around because it's like so competitive and some people can't really look beyond I don't know like accomplishments and into your relationship right. and I didn't do great on them MCAT by any means I, mean, either, no. I did like average um and so when I got to the point where I was applying I applied like I guess right before my senior year and I was doing research and stuff because I knew that was like looked good on your application but I hated I liked clinical research, but I was in like some neuro lab doing testing on fish, and I was really not into it at all. But I did get money. Mm. I got to list something else on my application. Um, But and you also advanced the science of that field so much, which actually,
1: without value, it's it's invaluable. Yes, the
0: (laughs) professor emailed me several years later and was like, "Oh, the code you wrote for MATLAB is like doing great things now," and I was like. Honestly, I Googled to figure out how to write the code. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing and it was terrible. Um, but also a learning experience. So I actually got accepted to med school the first month of my senior year of college. So uh knowing that it made my senior year pretty chill. Oh, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> my GPA dropped a bit. I bet it did. I went down like from like whatever the higher cum laude things Uh are to like the lower one (laughs) don't they warn you that they'll check your gpa yes they did but i didn't care yeah (laughs) i have this you know risk-taking thing that's never changed and all my (laughs) friends were still neurotically studying even though they got accepted to and i was like my gpa is gonna drop and i don't care um at that point i would have taken classes like
1: dinosaurs and like Insects and
0: <laughs> unfortunately, I didn't. I still was like, I need to prepare for medical schools. But yeah. then, like, half-assed all my classes. So who knows how much they actually helped. Um, but the one thing that I did that was interesting is I accidentally took too many psych courses in college. Oh, so I an was like, accident. Yes, it or was not. an accident. It was an <laughs> accident. Uh, the transition to like nursing to bio, I didn't really check what the requirements were, and so. Because of that, I was like, I'll just minor in it. It's like fun, easy classes. You can get an A real easy, and they're interesting. They are. So um, up until that point, I had thought about various things I would do. To be honest, you know, I'd watched a lot of Grey's Anatomy when I was (laughs) a teenager, so I thought maybe I'd be a surgeon. Um, That sort of changed pretty quickly, and I thought about different things. Like maybe I'd go into emergency medicine. But then my dad, once again, had something negative to say and was like, emergency medicine physicians, they have so much burnout, you shouldn't do that. And he was like, I think you make a great neurologist. So I thought about neurology for a little bit, but I shadowed a neurologist and all of his patients seemed to be dying. And I was like, I can't handle this. So I continued to think about what I would do. Um, But during that time period, when I was a senior in college, I took an abnormal psychology course and I remember the first day of the class, the professor was like, so what are you guys doing? And I raised my hand and I was like, I can to accept it to med school. I'm going to be an emergency <laughs> medicine physician. And she was like, well, let's see if we can change your mind. And I was like, <laughs> good luck. But <laughs> I was obsessed with that class. And I was like, these are diagnoses and these explain everyone around me. And now I have all these diagnoses for myself and everyone around me and everything makes sense. Um. And I was, I just thought it was like the coolest thing ever. So there was some part of me that, you know, that class really did impact me. Although I didn't want to acknowledge it because I thought, you know, well, being a psychiatrist isn't like being a real doctor. And I want to be a real doctor, which was dumb. But whatever, it's actually a pretty common thing people go through. Yeah. So then when I got to medical school, like the first month, I was like, Screw this. I'm definitely going to psychiatry. I hate all of this. And I love psych, and nothing ever really changed my mind. There you go. Yeah.
1: I I love psych, too, and I, you know, they share boards, uh, yeah. neuro and psych. And I would spend an ab- abnormal amount of, like, a, a disproportionate amount of time studying the psych, and I would not study neuro. It's just so much more interesting. Um, but... Yeah, no, I think I think that it's so interesting that your dad thought you should do neurology. And um, I think that that's just kind of the basis of what we're, we're going to be doing, um, kind of having a passion for both. And a lot of the, you know, coming up on the podcast, a lot of things we're going to talk about um, kind of joins the two. And, and you yeah. start to lose where neurology begins and psych ends and, and vice versa. Yeah. Um, And, uh, I, I, you know, it's, it's fascinating.
0: Yeah. And there's like the whole idea that, you know, if we can really find something in the brain, like a, a change or like, you know, some sort of proof of something, then it stops being psychiatric and starts being neurological. But, you know, there's that aside, there is so much overlap. And just because, especially with psychiatry nowadays, there might not, be explanations for things but like we know things are wrong and it's not like straightforward but it's so far from the norm um, but I think both of our fields just have so much advancement that's going to happen and that's something that I can say is different from a lot of fields out there a lot of fields you know they sort of they have like a lot of maybe drug studies going on or whatever mm-hmm. our surgical procedures are getting more advanced and less invasive But there's still so much theory and understanding left to be had in our fields.
1: Yeah. And I think that goes back to what you had said before. Um, You had said that when you shadowed, you know, I think our med school, since it wasn't a core, neuro wasn't a core. You had to actually seek the elective. Yes. Um, And you you said that most people were dying, which, you know is true. But I think that's exactly the stigma that kind of bonds uh, neuro and psych is that, you know, th- these are very sick people. They're sick mm-hmm. in ways that are so mm-hmm. complex that if the, we don't have answers now, there's really only one way to go yeah. but up and, and help these people. And, um, you know, as we'll talk about, there's so many diseases that previously in neuro could not be treated. And actually the, the saying was, um, diagnosed and adios. Yes. Um, but now, you know, some of our older attendees, like they can't even keep up. They cannot believe yes. some of the things that we are able yeah. to do. And they are, they've seen it in their lifetimes. And, um, you know, I think that this is like an amazing time for both fields. Yeah.
0: It's really, honestly, crazy how many advancements are happening. And, you know, I think also, too, when people decide on fields, it's like what they can tolerate. Because Mm -hmm. a lot of people will say to me, like, oh, my God, I don't know how you deal with crazy people all day, or like, whatever. And I'm like,
1: not knowing how many
0: crazy people they actually (laughs) probably do deal with. (laughs) Yeah, you know, like, people in your life are also wild, (laughs) and probably much more difficult to handle than my patients. Um, You know, and for each person, it's like deciding where your passion is and what you like and also what you what you can't tolerate. And Mm -hmm. sometimes people pick a field based upon passion. And sometimes unfortunately, people don't have a field that they're particularly drawn to and do have to eliminate fields based on like, I can't handle this. So for me, like, um, dealing with people where they were going to be literally dying quite frequently was something that I just couldn't handle. Uh, But luckily, I do think I am You know, there are a lot of things I complain about in medicine. I think we all do. But I think I'm lucky in that I found a field that I am like pretty much obsessed with. Mm -hmm. And it's never changed. And although sometimes I'll be like, why did I go to medical school and become a physician? I've never for one second regretted becoming a psychiatrist. There you go.
1: Then that that statement almost negates the previous statement because you wouldn't be a psychiatrist without medical school yeah
0: and people often ask like you know what would you do if if you didn't do this and it's very hard to answer that question because like number one i only know the life that i've lived Mm -hmm. and you can always imagine a different life for yourself and perhaps it could seem better or have more appealing things or have less of the stress that you go through to become a physician but at the same time like there are so many things that I can offer as a psychiatrist and that make me really, truly happy. And I don't know if I'd be able to get that with anything else. It's a question mark. Yeah. It's, it's, if
1: you had an answer to the question, what would you be doing if not this?
0: I, I'm so inclined to say you'd be doing it. Exactly. Exactly. And you know the the only thing I can really answer that maybe I would do besides this is be a psychologist because I think there's and that's a cheap answer yeah it's yeah. like because it's almost right. identical to what I'm already doing right. and I would probably you know have a lot of the reward that I have you know with the parts of being a psychiatrist that I enjoy yeah and
1: and you know on in the same in the same vein I remember um, when I first got into medical school. Um, I, you know, the first person I ran into was, was a close friend of mine and he was already in medical school. I think he must have been a second or third year. He was really in the throes of it. And he hugged me and then, you know, he looked at me and the first thing he said was, you have to be honest, is there anything else that you want to Mm -hmm. do Mm -hmm. besides this? Because now is the and This is going to consume your life. Yes. And I remember like, no.
0: Yeah and that's like so i do get a lot of like pre-meds messaging me on like instagram or whatever and asking for advice and the first thing i always say to everyone like is there anything else you could picture yourself doing and the same goes for tough specialties too like surgery you know if you can picture yourself doing anything else you should not pick that because it's incredibly difficult um, and then you know there are other things i think about when people ask me about medical school unfortunately i do think about like their financial situation Mm -hmm. if someone has someone who's gonna pay for medical school for them um fucking do it because you have (laughs) nothing to be lost worst case you just walk away and you go do something else with your life but if someone like unfortunately is gonna be taking out a ton of loans and has no support i'm like okay you need to think about it a little more because Mm -hmm. you're probably never going to be incredibly wealthy the loans are going to hold you back for a bit. So there needs to be more passion than for mm. someone who is not going to be so financially disabled by this.
1: Right. So I, I think because I, I think that n- nobody coming out of college can afford medical school. But I think what you're saying is that to sustain to to continue in a job that's going to eventually pay it off you have to want to do it. It's not mm-hmm. one of those things that you can dabble and then decide yeah. okay, this isn't for me. Yeah. with that burden.
0: It's not mm-hmm. you it's almost like you're you're married to it. That's yes, it. You are. Um and I think, too, like, even if you do have someone paying for your medical school, like, you're going to be poorer than your friends for a long time. Because when I started and I got into medical school, none of my friends had good jobs yet. They were struggling a little more to figure out what they wanted to do. But at this point, all of my friends who had any motivation to do work hard anything are now, you know, they've hit the six-figure mark with their jobs. IT, yeah. finance. They didn't have to work as hard as me. I'm just saying it's true. (laughs) They can get mad at me, but that's the truth. And I'm over here, like, you know, making whatever, looking at tons of debt. Mm -hmm. And it is what it is. So it's a little bit different when you're, like, 20 and you're thinking about these things because you can't really imagine that. And then your life is very different. Like, um, you know, people can get married and have kids, but it's gonna be very difficult for them, especially like you know to do that while they're in medical school or residency. So you have to think about these things and really make conscious decision of what's right for you. And I think too, you know, a lot of unfortunately, a lot of people are attracted to becoming a physician because of the prestige. Like, uh, you know, when you tell your someone you're a physician, there's a certain type of response you get and a lot of people are very, attracted to that mm-hmm. response they want that response especially of course if you say you're something like a surgeon I don't think they're better but you know a lot of people do
1: well you know it's <laughs> interesting I have to say um you know what I've met a lot of new people in the past year mm-hmm. um and you know I I never lead with what I do for a living, never ever, and you know I do eventually tell them you know I'm a stroke neurologist and they're like oh okay wow you know blah 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 and and I don't I I want to change the subject okay so what do you do like I'm I'm a very awkward person, (laughs) so um you know it's so funny because the next time we meet or if this person is introducing me to someone you know what they say. They're like, this is, you know, this is Allie. She's a brain surgeon, but she can't figure out, you know, how to program her VCR, actually. You know, things like, that's such a dated thing. Um, Oh, God. (laughs) Um, The example was, I was trying to figure out how to use my GPS watch to go Mm -hmm. to do a running workout, and I couldn't figure it out. And, you know, two people actually said, oh, but you're you're a brain surgeon, but you can't figure out how to use the watch. And I was like, no, I'm not a surgeon. And then, you know what I mean? It's like... It's this weird and inflated kind of it, – it, it's just so awkward. And I'm like, no, you know, you know I'm, I have to say something weird like I'm just a doctor, which is – yeah. Like I, I would slap
0: myself, you know, 10 years ago for saying something yeah. like that. I think I'm lucky in that in psychiatry no one actually thinks I'm a physician, so people just assume <laughs> I'm stupid. <laughs> they definitely – like I definitely have to be very explicit because what happens is people assume I'm a psychologist and, you know, that's cool, like, psychologists do their own thing, but, you know, there's really no comparison to what it takes to become a physician. So, I'm like, no, I'm a psychiatrist, I went to medical school, I can prescribe meds, yeah. blah, 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 That's the difference. Um, They're also very lucky that they don't know the difference, because that means they've never had to deal with <laughs> yes. it. Yes. They've never had to see a psychiatrist. Or, or figure
1: out, when you have to schedule an appointment, the difference between, yes. and, you know, in a way, that's... Good for them. Yeah.
0: More on that in future. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And one thing I think too is like a lot of people who are thinking about becoming physicians and they message me, they seem to like not really know a lot about all the different roles you can play in the medical field. Like, I think everyone is aware of what a physician is and everyone is aware of what a nurse is. But there are many other roles. Like, Everything people. in between. We yeah. could list them, but it's mm-hmm. like, you know, you could be a physician's assistant. You could be an occupational therapist. You could be a. I, – I can't even, but there's so many physical mm-hmm. therapists. We could go on and right. on and on. Um, but I think that a lot of people would perhaps be better suited to something else um, where they could get what they're looking for perhaps – by becoming a physician, but in a way that is better suited to their life. Yeah. And, and there should be, like, an aptitude
1: <laughs> test. Instead yes. of a BuzzFeed survey on, like, what type of bread you are. Yeah. Or, like, we were talking about before, what how old you are and what emo song you are. <laughs> it should be, you know, okay, you like medicine. Great. You know, what's not going to feel like a waste of time? Yes. Time, which sounds so horrible. but yeah. um. You know, I I think of the few people, maybe the two or three in each med school class that dropped out. And I I wonder, you know, what would have helped them, you know, stay in the field,
0: but pick what was more suited for them? Yeah. And like, so what I talk to people a lot about, too, is like, you know, do you have any health issues, either physical health or mental health, that is going to, you know, make getting through this path harder, Than it already is for a typical person. Mm. And then like do you have a specialty that you're already set on because, you know, and like what about that specialty is appealing to you? Because Mm -hmm. perhaps there are other things that you could still get what you want but wouldn't be quite as difficult. So I'm always trying to make people think about that and then hopefully it'll help them come to the right decision.
1: Yeah. And then we have experts. You know, you have more passionate people in each
0: field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so, Allie, since we're talking so much about specialties mm-hmm. and sort of like, you know, all of that, I just want to hear a little more about, you know, because I heard about what initially attracted to you to neurology as a second-year mm-hmm. medical student, but I want to hear more about what's happened since then and then how you decided to do a stroke fellowship. Okay. So...
1: Um you know I you know what's so funny is that I did not do well in any neuroscience class. I mm-hmm. just I was not getting it. I took it in college. I think I got like a C. Um and then you know I was always like how do people really do this? this is really something people do as physicians? Um I I just I wasn't getting it cuz it just seemed very an- anatomy based a very, you know, very there's hormones and nerves, and I, I just didn't understand how this could be a medical profession. Um, and even in medical school, when we had neurology, just in the classroom, I did not do well. If it was not for a group test as the final exam, I wouldn't have passed. I, mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm, I did well in medical school, and, and neurology just did not get it. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I started seeing patients and say, oh, okay, so this is why people with Parkinson's act this way because of that part in the brain. I never put it together until Mm -hmm. I started seeing, you know, started doing the exam and seeing symptoms and, and, and I was like, and then it just became second nature. It was just like, oh, okay. Um, studying, it became more fun. Um, and you know, it's just, what's really the most interesting thing to me is when somebody has, um, aphasia, which means that they their language isn't isn't working either mm-hmm. understanding or yeah. producing language. And it just fascinates me that they they overcome this by thinking of different ways to say one word. And it's just yeah. so fascinating. And um you know, stroke, why why stroke? Um and it, it kind of says a little bit about my 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 patience maybe as a person, but um I like when things are very Cut and dry, the very concrete. A lot of things in neurology are big head scratchers. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know why you're, you know, experiencing this, you know. Yeah. And um, I don't really like that. I yeah. like more, okay, you had a stroke. This is the part of the brain that was damaged. And mm-hmm. this is what happened to your body because of it. It will get better. Um, you need this, this, and this medication. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're going to go to rehab and I'll see you when you're done with rehab. Um, so I, I kind of like structure. Yeah. I like there to be an answer. You know, I don't like nebulous things and, and, you know, I, I just, I'm a, that type of person. So, um, you know, that's kind of from very early on, I was like, it has to be stroke. I don't know that I have the patience or the, you know, mental stamina to try to piece together some of these more neurological yeah. mysteries. And, um. I guess putting all that together, this has been a good fit for me, and there have been, and you know, I want to go back to what you said before, you know, most like in defense of, you know, dying people. Mm -hmm. It's very emotional, and you know, I I think that there's something about me that I can kind of Mm -hmm. suspend myself, like I can you know, the first time I told somebody that their loved one had died from a stroke, I blacked out. I don't think I, I don't remember what I said. It came out very robotic and I wish I could have given like a, a voice hug. Like it was just it was very cold, yeah. but I had, to, I had to get the sentence out. I couldn't bounce around. I had mm-hmm. to say it. Um, so I'm very good at kind of suspending the way I yeah. am feeling and just deliver it and say it how it, tell it how it is. Um, but I think what keeps me going is all of the happy things that mm-hmm. I see. Um, you know, people, young people who have a stroke who one day will just kind of be staring at you, not doing anything. The next day they say, hi, like I'm, I'm feeling good today. Like mm-hmm. what? You we haven't talked in three weeks. Now <laughs> yeah. you're talking? Like w- this is crazy. Um, I, I think that that is so much more powerful than the sad things that it, I remember it more. And it's what gets me to work every day. Um, so I think that, you know, I, I, talked about what allured me to stroke and then this is what's keeping me in it yeah. is watching the progress. Cause there are things we can do for people now. Mm-hmm. We can go inside the blood vessels in their brain and just take the clot out. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's almost, it's like sci-fi mm-hmm. level, like, and, um, it's, it's so exciting and I, I love talking about yeah. it. Yeah. And also my, my grandfather passed away from a stroke. And I was in med school at the time, I think it was like first year, and I I just, I didn't get it. I was like, well, what do you mean? He was fine, and now he's not? Like, I don't understand that. Mm -hmm. And I think it was always in the back of my mind, like, oh, no. Like, I'm going to, I have a vendetta against strokes now. I don't want anyone to lose their grandpa, you Mm -hmm. know, and I want to know why. And, you know, I think it was a combination, but... I love it, and I'm mm-hmm. so happy, mm-hmm. and it kind of, it's made everything worth it, and I have, I've been through it. There's yeah. a lot of times I almost lost my residency or, or you know, this place closed, or, or there's so many hurdles. Like, it yeah. was never easy, but yeah. so worth it.
0: Yeah. That's great to hear. Yeah, And I, as a psych resident, I don't know if everybody knows, actually probably a lot of people don't know, but you do and your requirement is you do two months of neurology. So I spent six of those weeks on stroke and residency. Mm -hmm. And I just remember I was with like these fresh PGY2 neurology residents and they were holding the stroke pager and they were so anxious. Um, And what happens essentially when you hold a stroke pager from my perspective, is someone comes in to the hospital sort of like as a trauma, essentially, mm-hmm. and there's a possible stroke, and then the resident has to go assess for a stroke and decide whether to administer TPA mm-hmm. or not. It's a very, like, a very intense situation. I'm yeah. sure as time goes on, it gets easier, but I know especially for the early residents, it was very scary. Yeah.
1: it. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it's now, you know it happens. They call, it's a Mm -hmm. code. Everybody shows up. People are taking blood and blood pressures and, and, and it's okay. Someone has to be level-headed because Mm -hmm. if you miss one thing about the medications they're taking or their history, they could bleed in their brain and die. Mm -hmm. So while it's very exciting, it has to be done very systematically. And you have to remember that the stroke happened. That's why it's called a stroke. It, it happens suddenly. And then it's, 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 it happened. So you can either, you know, make it better or, you know, it already happened to the extent that you can't. Yeah. And that's, you know, the thinking part and you can't do it if you're freaking out. Yeah.
0: And I realize I said TPA without explaining what it was. <laughs> and there are a lot of people yeah. who are not going to know what this is. So very briefly, do you mind explaining what
1: TPA is? Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. And,
0: and I'm going to,
1: you know, I have to say this, um, if you suspect your loved one of having a stroke, meaning they are weak on one side of their body, they're off balance all of a sudden, their eyes are not right, um, and you bring them to the emergency room or you call the ambulance and they determine that, yes, your loved one is having a stroke, they can actually give them medication um, through an IV that breaks up all of the clots in the body essentially, um, assuming that there is a clot in the brain causing these symptoms. Um, but there is a, a very small time window from the time the symptoms started to the time we can give this medication. Doesn't end there. Let's say we're out of that window. You still bring them to the ER <laughs> because now we can go in through their groin, through the you know through the artery all the way up to their brain and take that bad boy out. And it is the most badass thing <laughs> I think neurology has to offer. Yes, you know, we've seen people come in who can't move, can't respond to you know on one side of their body can we take the clot out? They walk, walk out of the hospital. So, you know, I, you know, it's a shameful disclaimer. I have to say it, but that's, that's what I do. And Mm -hmm. I I just, that's what I do every day. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, that's, I hope that was a good explanation. (laughs) Yes. No, it was
0: good. And I have one other like question. So I know a lot of people when they're picking, I know it's very hard to be a general neurologist nowadays. And that a lot of Almost everyone has to do a fellowship mm-hmm. to have some sort of specialty to be marketable. I know a lot of friends chose like critical care because there was shift work. Mm-hmm. What is your expected lifestyle as an attending in stroke? So um, it, it's, it is
1: shift, shifty, because mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there, there will be a service of patients that are admitted that have to be seen every day. But then there's somebody that needs to be on call at night to discuss these emergent cases. And then there's patients that are seen as consults um, who aren't admitted but may have had a stroke. And then there's the outpatient. Mm-hmm. So um, in an ideal situation, you just rotate through all three, all four of those situations. Yeah. Um, and, you know... It, I lo- I love the hospital. Like I this is another thing that I think says a lot about my personality <laughs> is I don't like to wait for people to come to me. So yeah. I I could not sit in my office and be like where's, you know, where's Miss yeah. Smith? Like she's 15 minutes late for an appointment. You know what I mean? Like I'm like I like to be in the hospital and say, "Okay, let's go around now. Let's go see this yeah. person and then, you know, so I just I like the hospital. I love the fast pace, the adrenaline, yeah. the stress. Um that's how I kind of self-selected stroke yeah. and again you said crit care that's a very similar they're very similar usually you deal mm-hmm. with both mm-hmm. um but general neurology I was just afraid to kind of see kind of things that people just were like I don't know what this is you know just
0: yeah it can be really difficult it can be difficult mm-hmm. so um yeah no I I Love (laughs) stroke. Yeah. I'm glad you found what you love. I think it's, I think it's so nice because honestly, I think that at least 50% of people in medicine just sort of slide into something and they don't have like a real passion for it. So whenever I complain about things, I do have a little part of my brain that's like, well, (laughs) at least like you found something you love. You could just be doing this and truly just like trudging through it. And like, you have to admit the day does fly by. Yeah. Yeah. It really does. When I'm doing what I like, it right. does as well. And I guess I didn't really get beyond, like, my initial going into medical school and deciding on psychiatry. Um, and the thing is, too, when you're in medical school, people get very upset if you don't have an open mind. It's like a thing. You're supposed to have an open mind. Right, and they feel like they need to, oh, that's a
1: challenge. Oh, you know yes. you want to do surgery? Well, yes. I bet I can make you want to do veterinary
0: school. Like yeah, it's a it's, challenge. It's wild. And like, so of course I knew. So the, the thing that I would say when I was a third year medical student, I'd be like, you know, I'm thinking about psychiatry, but, um, I think I really want to do it, but I'm open-minded because mm-hmm. like you had to say that there were actually people that would tank you on your evaluations if you didn't say something like that. So I would always do the disclaimer. And then I remember one time I was like, I was on my OBI rotation. It was like uh, the holidays or sometime mm. like that. And my attending was like, Well, shouldn't you have made up your mind now? I was like, I didn't know I was allowed to say I had made up my mind. But yes, I guess I want to do <laughs> psychiatry 100%. <laughs> so
1: it, there's something to be said for the, I I feel like there's something to be said for being honest. Because if you were to say, I know as I knew I wanted to do neurology when I did OB9, mm-hmm. and I, I mentioned that to my attending who I kind of felt he would, he it was okay with yeah. it. He knew he wasn't going to convince, you know, he was fine. He gave me a topic that was neurologically related to OB-GYN. Yes. So you can actually, if you're not in the field that you want to do, a good attending will tailor their, your, mm-hmm. that yes. rotation to that. But I agree, there are some rotations that Will hold it against yeah. you. So I
0: don't really have a verdict on what to yeah. tell med yeah. students
1: to say. Yeah. I would say be honest.
0: Yeah. It's like, you know, you sort of have to feel out your crowd. I know for me, I always want to know what someone wants to do because as a resident, I want to tailor their experience right. to be the most helpful. So, like, especially if someone says they're going to emergency medicine, like, besides psychiatrists, they have to know the most about psychiatry. So I'm like, okay we're going to teach you a few things here today. Yeah. You really,
1: you save, you don't waste anyone's
0: time. You say, this is what I want to do. You're inadvertently saying, this is what I want out of this teaching experience. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, I still think that everyone has something to learn, but obviously if someone says they're going into your field, you're like, okay, well, they want to learn more. Yeah. So let me go out of my way to teach them right. as much as possible. And you know, make them even hang around with me longer versus yeah. dismissing them. Yeah. Because if they wanna do this, they should wanna see it all and they should really know what they're getting themselves into. Yeah. But in medical school I was lucky enough that even as a third year, I got to do two rotations in psychiatry. And um I just got to see like I think it was mostly like outpatient stuff, but I got to see some cool things and then I already, like, I just knew, even if my rotation experiences weren't super inclusive, that what I did see was appealing enough that that's what I wanted to do. And then when I was a fourth year, and if you don't know about fourth year of medical school, it's the one year of medical school you get to do, like, electives. So you get to pick more of things that you like for whatever reason. It can be the field you're going into or just a field that interests you. So I did, like, a lot of psych rotations. I was just, like, as many as I can do. Mm-hmm. And, um... I just, you know, I, at that point I got to see like every single different environment and thought it was just like amazing what you could do. And in residency, I've been incredibly lucky to see pretty much every single thing you can see. Um, And the first two years of psych residency are pretty heavily inpatient. So more so than other residency programs. Then the second two years are outpatient. So my first two years I saw... So much crazy stuff on the inpatient setting. Um, And then this year I've been doing a lot more outpatient. But where my passion is with psychiatry is specifically psychotherapy, which is like a bit of a dying field for the psychiatrist (laughs) because, you know, sort of like you can't feel as much. So you're discouraged from doing it. Um, But I love it so much. You know, I think any physician can learn the medications to treat psychiatric Mm -hmm. stuff but psychotherapy it's sort of like an art and you're sort of born with like maybe a natural talent for it and you can get significantly better at it but people have the talent or they don't and I like to think that I'm someone who has the talent (laughs) (laughs) so I love it and you can really like Oh, my God. It's just, like, it's fucking awesome. So my plan when I get done with all this, I'm not doing fellowship because, eh, for psych, they're sort of, like, whatever. If you have an interest, go for it. But I plan on going into private practice and having 45-minute appointments with my patients, and they all have to do psychotherapy with me. They can get meds, too, but oh. there is going to be some psychotherapy in there. If you don't want psychotherapy, don't come see me. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say that... Um
1: That is a very attractive offer because a lot of people may have to go to both a psychotherapist and a psychiatrist. And a lot of times, if one doesn't offer the other, it gets very confusing. Um, And that's that's Mm -hmm. great.
0: Mm -hmm. And there is some concern. Like, there are some psychiatrists who are, like, honestly, most of them are older, but who are very like psychotherapy heavy and they won't actually prescribe medications. Mm. So if you're someone who wants to do both, it's, there is a question of balance and there's a lot of like, it's very different when you're just prescribing medications versus doing psychotherapy, especially if it's like psychoanalytic or psychodynamic oriented, which we'll have to get into in a later episode, but there's a lot about like disclosure and, boundaries and like all this stuff that isn't as intense when you're um a psychiatrist just prescribing medication although of course psychiatrists there are different rules and laws for you compared to other physicians and now
1: correct me if i'm wrong but don't most studies like the conclusion is that the combination Mm -hmm. of uh psychotherapy and medications was always the most efficacious yep and then my second question about that is do you think that maybe for psychiatrists there's a stigma that if they have to be prescribing medications that their psychotherapy was inadequate like is it an ego thing at all like they want to try to see if how well they can do without prescribing
0: medications no because so many psychiatrists don't even do psychotherapy mm-hmm. um it's almost like a dying I art think. And a lot, I mean, part of it is like the reimbursement. If you're accepting insurance, insurance doesn't value psychotherapy like they do medications. And that's just another issue with our health system. Um, And they, which is so silly, but whatever it is, what it is. But I think for psychiatrists, I think that the vast majority of psychiatrists, like they are want to prescribe medication when it's necessary and mm-hmm. don't want to prescribe medication when it's unnecessary. But there are obviously outliers who give everyone a bad name and it is such an every field. Yeah, it definitely is. Yeah. <laughs> so Anna, I think maybe we should
1: uh, tell our listeners what they can expect going forward. Some episodes we have, yes. some ideas
0: yes. we have going forward. Yeah. So you know, we're trying to pick either psychiatric or neurological topics that are just going to be interesting for everyone Mm -hmm. and that there's a lot that either it's just a really fun topic or there are things that people don't know that they would really appreciate. So we'll be definitely hitting on some big psychiatric topics like psychosis, bipolar, things like that, and numerous other things. And do you want to mention a couple of big neuro topics we'll be hitting on? (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, what's so interesting was I was about to say something, and I'm like, well, they're, they're kind of psychiatric, too, but they do have, like, a neurologic yeah. basis. Um, I am very excited very passionate about um,
0: – oh, my God, I forgot the name. What is it called? <laughs> what we're doing next. No, the, the – TBIs? The tra- yeah. <laughs> what is it called? Traumatic brain injuries. <laughs> well, what is it CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. okay, yes, which is a hot fucking topic right now. Yes, I'm
1: sorry. Um, My personal favorite chronic, they're all Mm -hmm. my favorite, and I'm going to introduce every episode, as this is my favorite thing to talk about, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But a lot of kind of coming up a couple episodes on things that aren't terribly based in too much science as of yet, and I I can kind of see why. There's kind of more important things, Mm -hmm. like, cancer and pharmaceuticals but um interesting nonetheless and I I have a feeling that coming up um some of the episodes I'll be doing people are going to be like oh my god that that happens to me I I thought I was just a fucking weirdo like so (laughs) I'm excited to kind of um to kind of delve into those and um our next episode coming up is going to
0: be our next episode is going to be on psychosis and I'm super stoked I've put a lot of work into this, so y'all should appreciate it. Um, But it's going to be really good. There are a lot of things that I realized I didn't even know until, like, recently in residency. And it's just because I had no one to explain it to me Mm -hmm. in a way that I could really get it. So, Or in a relaxed context where you're just kind of learning for yourself instead of for a test or a presentation. So we'll also be having a lot of... uh, guests come on and a lot of physicians from different specialties i think we mentioned this at the beginning but um that'll be happening and we hope that it's useful to you and we're always welcoming of any feedback so you can contact us on our instagram page which is thank you for this consult send us a dm either way you should follow us or else And you can also find our own personal Instagrams on there, which I'm sure you're interested in, but that's probably how you found this podcast to begin with. So anyways, thank you for this consult Consult. on who we are. All right. Talk to you guys later. Bye.